1: Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
2: Let's go out to the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Let's talk to Browns analyst Nathan Zagura joining us here on The Fan. Hello, Nathan. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good, guys. Good afternoon. How are you guys doing?
2: Good. Very busy day. Around Berea, uh, I, I I guess we'll just start with yeah. all the different changes and everything. Um, I I we, we'd obviously we don't know at this point where it came from, you know, top or whether this was a Stefanski move. Uh, but uh, your first blush reaction to all the changes around Berea.
1: Yeah, uh, excited about Caleb Johnson, the uh, linebacker signed to the reserve futures contracts, apparently a good special teams player and we'll see uh, how that works out. That's what you were talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, clearly.
2: I mean, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Most Well, that's the ever. only
1: press release we've put out. I was no kidding. Obviously, <laughs> uh you know this team after a season, they obviously go through evaluations and, and clearly, you know, based on those reports, there's a there was a, a need to maybe make some changes on the offensive side of things and, and try to maybe modernize this offense. I think what we saw was how effective this offense was with Joe Flacco, who excels at the things that are at Kevin Stefanski's core, right? The hard play action from under center, vertical passing shot plays. And I think part of it's going to be you got to get Deshaun Watson to be even better at those, kind of in the way that Joe Flacco was. But I think maybe bigger picture to bring in, you know, offensive concepts that or, or someone who has maybe even in the past been familiar with Deshaun Watson and the things that he is comfortable doing and, and does the best. You know, more motion. We are one of the lowest motion teams, more shotgun based offensive principles that, you know, maybe we were not as innovative as possible there. And I my guess is that's what you're looking at because going in this offseason, the most important thing is to get Deshaun Watson playing the best that he possibly can play. And so perhaps that's one of the reasons why they decided to, you know, make some changes there so that they can be in a better position to do that and move forward with Deshaun as their quarterback because he is he's is the present he is the, the future he's all of it
3: you know I, I get that uh, I guess my question is you know this day and age you know how it is Nathan being around the league I mean guys um, want to call plays to be an OC like if you're going to take this job and be an OC and not get to call the plays why would you take the job? Uh, it's potentially a springboard and, and we don't know, maybe that's some
1: of the thinking that we're, we haven't heard. I think Kevin fancy is a great play caller. Uh, I think you saw that in his ability to kind of put together successful game plans and, and execute the sequencing for a variety of different quarterbacks and styles throughout the course of the season. Um, but you know you think about a guy like Mike LaFleur who was with you know Kyle and then he got the opportunity to go to the Jets call plays and then he leaves there and you know goes with Sean McVay where Sean McVay still calling the plays but it was a very successful union and and added some nice concepts there and the Rams had a great run so maybe it's somebody who thinks it's a, a springboard opportunity uh, or maybe it is the case that somebody would come in and call the plays uh, and and Kevin could focus more on being a, a true you know head coach overseer of the entire operation i don't know that's stuff that has not certainly been made to me and that's something that certainly the Browns have not even commented on these moves officially yet so it's speculation but maybe that is something that's that's he thinks that's a way to to help this football team we'll see do you think these moves get
2: made if they don't have the postseason game go the way the postseason game did yeah
1: 100% I, I don't think that moves are not being made based on one game and you know honestly you think about the offense in the first half was very, very good, and even into the you know into the second half prior to that pick six on the first and ten from the thirty four of Houston, when it was still very much a game. You know, the side of the ball that really didn't perform at the level it should have in that game was the defense. Right? I mean, gave up over ten yards of play in the first half, gave up twenty four points in the first half, no sacks, no turnovers. You know, outside of Jok's play, it was a pretty forgettable day for the Browns' defense. And th- these changes aren't that so. And I think this is an organization that is too, you know, intentional in what they do to to emotionally try to fire people based on the way one playoff game went. I, that I think this is something that they've probably been thinking about and something that they wanted to address and have decided to address it. Obviously, at this time that makes the most sense after the season.
2: Nathan Zegar joining us here on ninety two through the fan on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Getting into the actual game itself, Nathan. Obviously, just a big surprise uh, for a lot of people. I would imagine yourself as well. I, you know, sure. I, I talked to a lot of people in Vegas. The Vegas people kept telling me about the home road splits. Stefanski earlier in the year suggested that the home road splits. He, it just it was too small of a sample size. Should I have made more uh, a bigger deal on the on the home road splits and how it ended up favoring in in the in the, in the a bad way for the Browns?
1: Uh, Maybe. I mean, you know, you think about the things that kind of were... The potential concerns going into the game, right, was the defense had been better at home than it had been on the road. Well, that turned out to, to be true. That you were down to your fourth and fifth tackles, or really your fifth and sixth tackles because Ty Secchi was on the roster and was supposed to before he got hurt would have probably been in before Christian and Hudson. And so you're down to your fifth and sixth tackles. And and that played a huge role in this game. Look at that the, the game-changing pick six. And then you go and you say, well, Juan Thornhill was banged up, and he's actually said, you know, I, this is such a frustrating year, battled that calf all year, didn't play a ton in that game. You're down. You're without your top three safeties. No Delpit, no McLeod. You know, guess what? That kind of reared its ugly head in that game against the Houston Texans. So I think it was a combination of a lot of things. I think defensively there there is something to that. I also think we played, you know, maybe a better slate of quarterbacks on the road this year than we played at home. And I think if you were to look into that, that would certainly bear itself out. Um, And perhaps that had something to do with it as well. And, yeah, it's one of those – it's a mystery because this defense was supposed to be – you know, that one constant and help you. And and in this particular game, it was a very tough, tough game for our defense that, you know, didn't necessarily make some changes that people thought they might make to really, you know, for example, put a safety over Nico Collins, take him out of the game completely because he'd been kind of a one-trick, one-man, you know, band really mm-hmm. in that pass-catching offense. And we played how we played all year. And unfortunately, you know, the Texans were prepared for that and executed better than the Browns did. And, and that's the sad thing about it is – this was such a fun and magical season in which the team really did overcome a lot of obstacles overachieved in face of all the injuries, but that ending just didn't fit with the season. So that's what I've been saying. It was a, it was an, you know, not a fitting conclusion to a very, very special season, a great four and a half months for everybody in this city and around the world that loves the Cleveland Browns.
3: Nathan, is there a chance that Flacco could be back as a backup?
1: I think so. I mean, I don't see why not. I think that, you know, if, if, he was comfortable with it. If you know everybody could felt comfortable with that, I don't see why not. Because I think he could be very valuable. And number one, you know, Deshaun has gotten banged up, and if you needed somebody to play a few games, you'd feel great about Joe Flacco. I know he loved his time here. He loved the locker room. He was beloved in the locker room. I, I think he understands what his role would be in that situation. I think he would handle it with class, and I think he could also be very valuable as a resource to Deshaun about some of that hard play action game. Okay, here's what I'm looking at pre-snap. I turn my back to the defense. When I come around, here's what I'm reading, and then this that's how I decide where I'm going to go with the football, things like that. I think he could be a great resource. I would love to have him back. I, I really loved getting to know him. It was an honor to to kind of you know be a part of that magical run at the end of the season. It was really special. He came in here uh, on Browns Daily in our studio and, and did an interview on a Friday that was awesome. He's just a great guy. He was living the dream, and, and I think he found this to be a very special place. And I think this town certainly would welcome back Joe Flacco. I think we as fans would have to be, you know, able to handle the situation, right? Like there was the high highs of, you know, leading the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns since he became the quarterback for Flacco. And then there's also, unfortunately, Lowe's led the league in, in interceptions and pick sixes while he was here. It was just a lot of big plays in both directions. So I think people would have to be able to handle it, but I think, yeah, why not? It gives another guy to kind of a great voice in the room for DTR as well. Who you know, ultimately you you'll be grooming into your long term backup, and there's a lot of confidence in him in the organization. But yeah, I say why not? There's not, there's got to be a chance. What those chances are, I don't know, but I certainly would think there's got to be a chance.
2: How welcoming do you feel like Deshaun would be in that scenario? I mean, Deshaun's got his money; he's guaranteed, he's fine. But it also does come with the idea: the moment he struggles, uh, people's brains are immediately going to go back to, well, I don't know. I think Flacco could have made that throw.
1: I think Deshaun handled it just fine. I think both of them would be constant pros. Look, this is Deshaun Watson's team, period, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of comfort that comes from that. I, I think that um – He's a very talented guy. Look, he went five and one as a starter this year. The last time we saw him, he went fourteen of fourteen against the Baltimore Ravens. So you're starting to get to see a little bit more of what Deshaun Watson, you know, that you expected to come in. Certainly, that that comeback against the Ravens was a, a prime example of that. So you hope that continues forward. But I think he, I certainly, I know he could handle it, and I know Flacco could handle it.
2: Were some of these moves made with the idea of Watson in mind, or do you think this was more to help out Stefanski and get a new fresh look?
1: I think the probably answer to that is yes, right? As I said at the beginning, I think the most important thing that this organization can do is get this offense and get Deshaun Watson playing at his best football and I think that Kevin Safansky and his core is such a strong core and place to build from, but I do think they need somebody who is more versed in maybe more of the modern shotgun game, more of the shotgun RPO game, more of the shotgun run game in general, just different concepts out of that shotgun, and then the the pre-snap motion and, and valuable horizontal motion. How you Because we did it at times, but we were, I think, 31st in league in pre-snap motion percentage. The teams that are, have been the best offenses have had a higher percentage of it, but it's not just running somebody in motion for the sake of it, right? It's got yeah. to be purposeful motion. That is allowing you to get an advantage on another team, and I think that's something that the Browns are certainly looking at.
2: Nathan Zagara joining us here on 92.3 The Fan. You spent a lot of time around Baker. Uh, I obviously I was a big fan of Baker. I like Baker. Uh, sure. do, do you feel good for Baker getting that playoff win?
1: Yeah, of course. I think that you know Baker Mayfield was you cannot. Kind of even tell the story of this modern run of the Browns. You know, two playoff appearances without him. He was the one who got them in the playoffs. Won a playoff game in Pittsburgh. I was there in the COVID year, Mm -hmm. and you know he kind of helped change things here. And while it's, I think it can both be true that he's a he's a good quarterback, but maybe wasn't the right quarterback for here. You know, he's gone to Carolina, goes to the Rams. Now he's in Tampa, and it seems like he's found a home. And I'm. I'm very happy for him. He played great against the Eagles. It was it's awesome. It's fun. He's when things are going very well. Baker Mayfield is as fun a guy to root for as there is, right? I mean, he is great at that. And I think I'm very happy for him. And I, I think it's gonna be a tough test in Detroit this weekend, but you know, he's playing well. Mike Evans is playing well. They got Godwin going. They got some of those young receivers. You know, I came out of that game thinking, okay, Tampa. Which had struggled kinda coming into the playoffs. Maybe they figured some things out, or was it just that, you know, the Eagles that was I thought a dreadful performance. The worst tackling I've ever seen. I mean I, I don't know if you guys watched the Manning cast at all, but Ray Lewis was. Incensed. Oh, he was great. He was great. He on was it. awesome. But and it was so true. It was ridiculous. It was like, what is going on right now? But yeah, but no, definitely happy for Baker. Why He's not? He's yelling you know, at everyone. Ray Lewis yeah. was great on that. He was great.
2: <laughs> uh, Dustin earlier today, he, he kind of hinted at me. He says he kind of likes Houston in this game against Baltimore. I don't know if I like him by the time he gets to placing his bets and getting ready for the weekend. Uh, is 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 Dustin wild in that thinking? Nine point uh, favorites for Baltimore here.
1: Yeah, it's the thing the only thing that scares me the most is what a that the line is that big, right? I mean I, when I thought about it in my head, you know, I wouldn't have thought I thought maybe it'd be a six, a six ish, mm-hmm. you know, just inside in that kind of Vegas zone. But they went, you know, basically it's nine and a half almost the way to ten, which makes me feel like, why wouldn't you wanna take the Texans? And in many cases when that happens, it it usually means the team on the other side of that, that's maybe not getting as much action on them. They win because that's how Vegas has all these beautiful casinos and all the things that you see. there. they're very good <laughs> at this. So it, it would that the size of the line. Even though I would have gone if it was, and this is going to sound weird, but if it was if it was a smaller line, I would feel better about the Texans than it being this big of a line. Which I know in theory means like, oh, you're getting extra points. That doesn't make sense, but that's the way that I kind of see hey, that one.
2: Vegas has me in a mind bleep after that uh, after the the Browns Texans line. I was like, I can't believe it's two points. Yeah, it just I, I from that point forward, and then you talk about the Eagles Buccaneers game. That game itself, three point game in, in the Eagles' favor. You're like, okay, something's a little fishy. It's, when it's been fishy lines, the games have been fishy, Nathan.
1: Yeah, they've been pretty good at that. You know what's funny is, you know, when we thought about that, we do you know pay attention to the scores on the show and on. A, I think we'd record on Thursday, excited to travel to Houston on Friday. And mm-hmm. at that point, I'm like, all right, the Eagles have together. But by the time the weekend went through, and you heard some of that AJ Brown stuff, then you knew he wasn't playing. Then you knew her, and how they limped in. It kind of felt like but when that game kicked off that there was almost no doubt. You had Nature Boy Ric Flair out there. There's almost no mm-hmm. doubt it felt like that Tampa was going to win. Then they, they, Even though it was closer than the final score appeared for a, a portion of the game, it, it felt like Philly was never really in danger of doing anything in their defense performance. They, they played that game. I don't know if you guys remember a couple of years ago, and it ties into Baker as well. Uh, I think it was a Christmas game or a Christmas Eve game, and Denver played the Rams last year. And yeah. Denver basically did everything they could to get their coach fired, and they did after that game. Like, they didn't try to play defense, they didn't try to do anything. It was one of those. And watching that Eagles game, it almost felt like the players were like using this as a late season game for a team that was done to be like, get our coach out of here, which was a stunning thing to kind of watch in a playoff environment.
2: Is that the best job available to you, or would you take uh, the Chargers above that?
1: I like that one. I like I like the Chargers because of Herbert, but there I think there are other issues with that team. And you're in the division with Mahomes. I really like the Falcons' job a lot. And I'm trying to will, for the benefit of not only the Falcons, but also for where I went to college down there at Emory in Atlanta, but for the Browns as well, I'm trying to will Todd Monk and... To that Atlanta job, and I know he's interviewed, I think, with Carolina and the Chargers, and not yet Atlanta. But you know, he was great at the University of Georgia, so obviously they like him down there. Mm-hmm. He's, and then the other part of that is they trade for Justin Fields. So you throw Fields down there yeah. with Todd Monken, and, and all of a sudden you got Bijan and Fields in the backfield. You can get very creative there. You've got two big catch radius guys and Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Mm-hmm. You got a good offensive line. You got a good defense anchored by Jesse Bates on the back end. And that division just feels ripe where if you hit it, you can run that division for a while because Tampa is getting older, the Saints are getting older, and Carolina feels like it is headed into a wasteland. So I kind of like that Atlanta job a lot.
2: Yeah, Earlier today I heard Kuyper say that he thought it was a first-round pick would be the trade on that. I, I Fields feels isn't worth a first-round pick, right? When you think about uh, Baker I think was a conditional fifth. Uh, we've had some some big-time quarterbacks in recent years. They don't go for first-rounders like that.
1: No, I wonder with Fields, because he played well, and he's still on his rookie contract. You know, I wonder, can he get a second? That's what I was thinking. You know? I was thinking a second. So, so let's say the Falcons give him a second. They still have a pick. They still have the eighth pick where they can take a stud receiver if they wanted to, to give Fields, you know, London. The, the kid, What's the kid from Washington? You could give him that guy because he's probably going to be there as the second receiver after Marv goes off the board to Arizona. Get a stud receiver. Now you got three big-time pass catchers, Bijan John Fields, I mean, it feels like loaded, and from the Chicago perspective, you draft Caleb Williams at one, you probably can get him a receiver at nine, and then you'd have the eighth and ninth picks in the second round as well for the first 41 picks, 42 picks. That feels like a great way to turn around a franchise very, very quickly. Are you a buyer into uh, to Caleb? I don't. I haven't watched him enough to be honest with you to know one way or another. He's. It feels like a lot of people say he's the consensus number one. It, I. I realize USC's D was bad, and I'm sure Dustin, you've watched a lot more college football than I have. But it did. It was surprising to me that he wouldn't have been more successful this year. And I know they lost some shootouts because of their defense again. But sure. that's the only thing that kind of surprised me. Without you know, breaking it down. Watch, I know he can make every throw. He's a great athlete, all those things. Uh, I was just surprised they didn't win more.
2: It's odd because he just came in there with that. uh, He had the same conversations around him that we had with Trevor Lawrence, that we had with Andrew Luck, that we've had with Peyton Manning, where, like, since since they were 12, they were just always going to be anointed. They were always going to be the one that, uh, you know, ends up being the best college player, then being number one overall. And then this last year, I don't know what it was with people, but they just soured on Caleb in a way that I didn't see coming.
1: Yeah, same. It still feels like, though, in the draft community, and obviously we'll get a better read on this. When you go to the Combine, you get a lot of the worst-kept secrets Mm -hmm. in the world that you know what's going to happen. I'm sure coming out of the Combine, we'll know exactly what they're going to do at at number one, and my guess is it'll be Caleb Williams. It'll, It'll be him. Nathan,
2: thank you so much for the time. I appreciate you. We'll catch up with you later.
1: All right, guys, thank you. All right, good stuff right there with
2: Nathan Segura on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. I, I do think these moves happen because of the outcome of the postseason. He, it, Nathan made it seem like maybe that wasn't the case. Uh, may, maybe that it was uh, decided. I, I didn't say before the game got underway, but that's the insinuation that I got. I, I think the game impacted things because I think the game impacts how a lot of these moves are made. The Eagles aren't firing their head coach. We would assume they are are going to, but it's not because they've beaten uh, Tampa Bay. It's a different story. Sirianni probably still has his job if they beat Tampa Bay, right? This is how this works. Dallas, Mike McCarthy may end up keeping his job, but I'd be surprised by that. What happens? Dallas gets blown out by uh, Green Bay. You lose your job. This is how this whole thing works. It's It's how it goes. It's how it goes. And so I... I tend to think that this is a reflection of what happened in that game. But I do think in the larger perspective, maybe Nathan is more right in this discussion uh, because there needed to be a change regardless of what happened in this game. They could have won that postseason game. And I still would be saying the same things I'm saying today. The offense wasn't good enough, Dustin. They needed to make
3: some sort of move. And maybe that's where Nathan is right here. Yeah. The offense wasn't good enough, but again, when I think about the offense, I think about Kevin Stefanski. And I put it all on him. I don't necessarily put it on the assistant coaches. It just seems like passing the buck here until mm-hmm. until you, you know. I mean, he's going to keep his job. We know that. But, like, firing these coaches, what, what does this solve? What does this do? It just changes it up. Gives oh, yourself a different look, you know, because
2: he's not going to fire himself. We know that's not happening. No. You said it yourself earlier in the show. They'd be crazy to fire him. And I agree with that sentiment. So what do you do? You got to find a way to go ahead and make some changes. I I don't hate this. I don't hate this from a Deshaun Watson perspective, too.
1: We'll get on that in a little bit. Here was Nathan joining us earlier. Here we go think maybe bigger picture to bring in offensive concepts that or or someone who has maybe even in the past been familiar with Deshaun Watson and the things that he is comfortable doing and does the best going in this offseason the most important thing is to get Deshaun Watson playing the best that he possibly can play and so perhaps that's one of the reasons why they decided to you know make some changes there so that they can be in a better position to do that and move forward with Deshaun as their quarterback because he is he's the present he is the the future. He's all of it. So I agree with all that as well. I just don't know who that answer is, Dustin, and this is the confusing part for
2: me. How do you get somebody that is going to drastically improve Deshaun Watson that the rest of the NFL hasn't already figured out? And oh, by the way, when you get him, it, it has to be with the premise and the idea that you're not going to be able to call plays as well. Because that's Kevin Stefanski's job. So you gotta hire somebody that is going to be limited in what they can do, but is also going to have the ability to take Deshaun Watson to heights we haven't seen since the Houston days. Like, good luck. Who are you gonna hire? Good luck. It sounds impossible, does go, it not? Go, go find whoever the OC
3: was at Clemson.
2: Oh yeah, just, hey, go out and uh, hire hire the next Howard Stern. Go ahead and make that work. Like, what? What are we... No, but no, oh, but he doesn't get a chance to, to host the show the way that he'd like. He has to be Howard Stern in the number two chair. Like, what? It doesn't work that way. No. Like, Ben Johnson exists for a reason because he got to call plays in in Detroit and he's going to get a head coaching job because of it. Bobby Slowick, who we just watched this last weekend. Bobby Slowick was... He was working for Pro Football Focus 10 years ago. That crazy. And then he started working for San Francisco. Got in the right situation under Shanahan. That's a great situation to be in. One year OC, and now all of a sudden he's going to be a head coach somewhere next year more likely than not, right? But it's because he got that opportunity. And all these guys know this. No one that's young... No one that's gifted and talented is going to say, sign me up to be the guy that sits in back of a coach that is never going to let me call the plays. Unless that person is maybe Andy Reid. And uh, you can justify it because Matt Nagy, Eric Bieniemy, everyone else eventually is going to get their opportunities because they were in the orbit of Patrick Mahomes. But that is definitely the
3: exception not the rule there, Dustin. No, it, it is. Um, I, I just don't know who you're getting here. It's going to like make some significant change to this offense. Maybe there's some twenty seven year old kid out there who's who's, you know, just fresh out of college. He's working in, working in college. I don't know, but like you're not going to get some some veteran coach to come in here and want to just be essentially just an offensive assistant. Right. You got to find uh, Sean McVay before he was Sean
2: McVay. But then Sean McVay that would be satisfied not being able to really grow as a play caller at all and not really being able to grow as an an as anything in this league. I mean, I'm sorry. The job behind Kevin Stefanski, and I want to open this up to you guys, to below 92 Is this the Browns saying they need to get more out of Deshaun Watson? But the job behind Kevin Stefanski, it's about as much of a dead-end job as you can have, is it not? Uh, Yeah. And on top of it, you don't even know that you're going to eventually be right in this scenario. We might be asking you, I equated this to Mike McCarthy with Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott under the bright lights kind of folds a little bit, and I said, I don't know if it's if it's necessarily McCarthy's fault. He might be. They might be asking a giraffe to climb a tree, right? They might be. It might be something he just cannot be capable of because nobody could be capable of it. How do we know that the person they would hire in this spot is even going to be capable of getting the most out of Deshaun? We don't. We, we don't even know if that's possible. We don't know. So you're going to sign up to be the the offensive we also assistant? also don't even know if
3: Deshaun's healthy.
2: That's another part of this. You're signed up to be the offensive assistant for a guy that you don't even know is going to be quarterback for the entire stretch of the season because he's got the his injuries concerns, and you also don't know if he's ever going to be able to get back to what he was. Where's the upside for anyone in this equation? Like the low chance, the low percentage chance, I guess maybe should, I shouldn't say low, the percentage chance that Deshaun Watson turns back into the Deshaun Watson that we once knew, and then where does all the credit goes? It go? It goes to Kevin Stefanski. Because, like, how many people, Dustin, this year, when Deshaun played really well against Tennessee or Deshaun had that second half where he was 14-14 against mm-hmm. Baltimore and erased the 13-point deficit in the fourth quarter, how many people were like, wow, Alex Van Pelt, bravo, way to go, AVP. Nobody said that. He won a playoff game. He did win a playoff game. and And that was back when we were giving him credit for things because we wanted to go ahead and give him credit for things. But like, how many people said that legitimately? How many people? Mm, I don't know. Maybe Lima. Maybe did he even do that? I don't even know if he did that. I don't know. Every all the credit went to Stefanski. I don't know. At that point, I think Lima had already switched over to Stefanski, right? Or was that at the point when they were they I'm were yelling sure Lima's
3: and- takes these days on Stefanski?
2: I think he likes him. How can he not? I think he likes him. I think at, at some point, I, been maybe. the best
3: run the Browns have had in 25 years. I
2: feel like it was a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I felt like mine was switched to being like, hey, I like Stefanski now. And I don't know that he's looked back on that one. 216474 to below 92. Mitchell and Canton up next on the fan. What's up, Mitchell? Mitchell.
0: Michael and Canton. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. Is that who you're looking for?
2: Oh, I'm sorry, Michael. I'm sorry. My my contacts got fuzzy for a second. I got that wrong. What's up, Michael?
0: No worries whatsoever. My son is Mitchell. Listen, I think Devante oh, had an epiphany because the defense also played so horribly in that blowout loss. I think he realizes he needs to concentrate on, I don't know, being the head coach. I think he's looking to bring in an OC who will call the plays next year. I just
2: don't buy it. And and Michael, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. And 216474 to below 92. Do you feel like there's a spot where Stefanski would say, listen, the only way you get one of these really good coordinators is if you give him the coaching duties? I'm going to do that. I just don't think he will because it's not what Stefanski thinks he's good at. Stefanski doesn't think he's, he, he doesn't think, look at himself like he's a Tony Robbins. He's not a master motivator of sorts. He's not this big Mike Tomlin, hey, let's get people all riled up and run through a brick wall like they're the Kool Aid guy. Like, that's not who he is. He is, he got the job because he is a great, in his mind, play caller.
3: Yeah, that, and that's what he hangs his hat on. He's not yeah. going to give that up. He's most proud of that. You can tell he's most proud of that. Why would you ever give that up? I, I do never- think eventually maybe he gives it up, like if he's been in the league for like a decade then maybe you can pass those duties off. But right now, no, he ain't doing it right now. I don't even know about
2: that. I think he, I look at him like, uh, so so you're saying maybe he was like, I, I could see a scenario where he's like Mike McCarthy when McCarthy landed in Dallas. It's like, all right, Kellen Moore wants to call the play it's fine. And then uh, quickly bust toss Kellen Moore and then took the play calling back. Mm-hmm. I could see that scenario. Where he's like, all right, if this is what the owner wants, and then you just completely remove it because you got the ego attached to you that thinks you can do this better than anyone. Say what you want. I know he comes across like a very humble person. Stefanski's got an ego when it comes to the play calling. Oh yeah, He believes this is what he does best and better than anyone else. This is why he got the job. Why would you ever give that up? If there's one thing in life that I do well and I get hired because of that one thing, why am I then going to turn my back on that one thing? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. You'd be like, yeah, of course. Of course I'm great at this. They gave me a job because of this reason to below ninety two, and make no mistake about it. He wants to be perceived like Shanahan. He wants to be perceived like McVay. He wants to be perceived like Lafleur. He wants to be perceived like all these other coaches that we think are are these master play callers and are awesome at this. Why? he eats that up? All right. Two one to below ninety two. What did Josina Anderson say about Deshaun Watson and the play calling and everything attached to this? And we'll ask you: Is the Browns is, is what they're telling you? Is they need to get more out of Deshaun Watson. We got Ross Tucker coming your way at four o'clock. Brian Billick coming your way at five forty. It's afternoon drive right here on the fan. Dustin, let me tell you about. Uh, I, so it's not going to come as like a new surprise or anything like that. I just don't know that many people are out there watching this. Now I, I have a pretty good taste on television for what you'd like, but I don't know. I don't know that this one checks off like the 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 boxes that I would historically send your way. I, I will say this: I I do trust your opinion. I think this one is just it's one of the funniest shows I've seen in in a long time. I haven't had as many laughs per minute. Is it a newish
3: like a newer show?
2: I'm going to say it and then you'll okay. think to yourself, "Oh yeah, of course." But then I don't know that you knew that it was going to be out there, okay? Uh you remember Ted, the movie Ted, like with the Yeah, yeah, the, the, there's a there's a
3: show on like Prime or something, right? It's on Peacock. Or Peacock, It's yeah. hysterical. Is it
2: really? Yeah. I mean, it's little it's, it's the, the Teddy little... Bear that smokes weed and curses and does all that stuff. It's the funniest thing. I'm having a great time watching it. But I love the original episodes? Ted. I don't know. I'm only like three or four in. You don't watch it for like a plot or a storyline. You just watch it. We've talked before about the idea that they don't make comedies anymore. Like they don't make like anything high like and watch it or what? Do I get high and watch it? Yeah, no, I don't. I, no, it? I don't. I don't. I'm not a holy roller, man. I don't, I don't play that game mainly because is it, is it, is it that funny though? It's hysterical. I'll watch it. It's hysterical. If you want to get high and watch it, I bet it's like, a, I bet it's 20 times better. <laughs> I bet it's, I bet it's awesome. It's, it's really funny though. I knowing you i think
3: i think nick would also really like this one too so maybe that's you what, know I, I love that jury duty show that was the funniest thing i ever seen
2: yeah and that was that was obviously great um i think i think the laughs per minute on this one hits it kind of reminds me of one of those old school like super bad type shows though where or, i mean superman was a movie but where it's just it just it's just that all they're doing is trying to make you laugh there is not much of a premise to it but all they're trying to do is just make you laugh as often as they just can joke after joke
3: after and joke and there's
2: something about a talking teddy bear that just gets me just i just keep laughing at it It's the funniest thing in the world to me. And this little teddy bear is just, he just, he curses. He just, he is, he's a degenerate. He just, he's hysterical. Is is Mark Wahlberg in it too? No. So it's, so the original Ted was with Mark Wahlberg. Right. This Ted is uh, voiced by the same guy that does Family Guy. Uh, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's his voice. And then uh, they have like a, it's like a younger version of Mark Wahlberg. It's not Mark Wahlberg, though. It's supposed to be when they, when they were, like, teenagers. And it's just the funniest thing in the world. I, mean, I love those movies, though. I, did you ever watch the movies? I watched the first one. Okay. The first one, I think, is, like, awesome. And then the second one was what it was. Uh, so, anyway, all right. Ted, it's on Peacock. you Have you seen it, Jax, or no? I haven't seen the show, but I, I've seen the movies. you got to watch the show, man. I, I couldn't stop laughing. It was, like, I haven't laughed that hard. In a very long time, just nonstop. Because they don't make them like that anymore. I don't know why. They just don't make, they don't try to make you laugh the way that this one does. So anyway, whatever. It's good stuff. Josina Anderson was on earlier today on, uh, on with Ken and Anthony. And this is what she had to say in relation to Deshaun Watson. Here we go.
1: I don't think it has anything to do with Deshaun Watson. He's barely, you know, played there, you know, obviously going through the stuff with the suspension and getting hurt. I definitely don't think this has anything to do with, you know, being at the direction of Deshaun Watson or anything like that, at least not from what I understand. I mean, I always reserve the right to hear something different and change my opinion because I'm just learning of this it was just like you guys are. But from everything that I understand and just, you know, know up to this point, I would say that I would be very surprised to know that, you know, he had any, you know, thoughts that were negative that impacted this type of decision towards those coaches would not make sense to me just right off the top of my head. I agree with
2: that. I don't know that this was any bit of Deshaun Watson's thinking. I think Deshaun Watson, can I say something? I think You Deshaun, can say it. I think Deshaun Watson, I'm going to say it. Don't say it. <laughs> I'm going to say it. I think Deshaun Watson has more say in this decision
3: if he wanted to than what Kevin Stefanski was. I would agree with that. I, I've said this all along. I, I feel like Deshaun Watson sort of runs the organization. Mm-hmm. Like, if Deshaun, was, Deshaun didn't like Stefanski, Stefanski would be gone. For sure. If
2: Deshaun doesn't like uh, what color Gatorade they serve on the sidelines, guess what Coward Gatorade is going to be served on the sidelines? Whatever color he wants. Exactly right. Like, it, it, it's, his, it's his show. So, like, if you told me... We got reports out of here that Deshaun, for whatever reason, just didn't jive with what Alex Van Pelt was doing. And this is not what we have. We don't have these reports. You just heard Jocelyn Anderson. Who would know? And she's not saying anything close to that. But if that's what it all came out to be, I'd be like, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I, would, I hope that this is more Kevin Stefanski's decision than it is Deshaun Watson's decision. But... Wouldn't surprise me in the slightest bit. So let me hear from you. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. Is this the Browns saying they need to get more out of Deshaun Watson? How much will Deshaun Watson have a say in who the next guy is? And and Dustin, would you target somebody that had a history and a past with Deshaun Watson?
3: I would. I would target somebody that that knows Deshaun's strengths and weaknesses and and understands what he wants to do. And also at this point in time, like He's a little bit older, so it's not like you can go right back to exactly everything he did in college. Like you got you got to evolve from that college sort of RPO spread offense to now the offense in the NFL. And Stefanski, by the way, wants to run a little bit more 12 personnel. He wants to run a little more play action, a little more under center, things like that, which he ran with Flacco. And I think that Deshaun can do that, but it's going to take some time for him to get used to it. How much time do you think that would take? I mean, when does he get healthy? Yeah. Well, I know you're worried about his health.
2: You've been very worried about about it. It seems like you've been pretty vocal about how worried you are with his health. That's why I wonder, do you build – he's going to be here for the next three years. You've got to build your offense around him being healthy. You build it with the idea that he's healthy. How much do you put other players' minds – or thinking into that mindset, though? You know, if you you have a backup quarterback – I don't know if it's DTR. I don't know if it's Joe Flacco. I don't know who that is, but how much do you take that into consideration when you're trying to build this whole thing out? And I think you just go for (laughs) broke. I think you worry about Deshaun, you focus on Deshaun, yeah. and if that means you get somebody that Deshaun clicked with previously, I mean, because somebody that he clicked with previously would fall into that bucket of uh, of people and candidates that we were talking about, where maybe they're just okay being an offensive coordinator, maybe they're someone that doesn't really necessarily need to be on that fast track to trying to be a head coach. Some of these guys, like Daryl had a couple names that I, I mentioned earlier that we've thrown out and... I don't know, maybe one of these guys would fit a little bit more. One of these type of guys that, you know, they've been an offensive coordinator. Uh, Tim Kelly, Titans OC, right? Or Carl Smith, who's the Seahawks associate head coach. Kelly was the Texans OC from 2019 to 2021. Smith was Watson's quarterback coach in 2019. Anyone but Quincy Avery, and I think I'm going to be fine, Dustin. They're not going to hire Quincy Avery. Just don't call Quincy Avery, please. Do not. I don't need the Twitter battles on that one. If I'm going to chastise Greg Newsome for getting and speaking on Twitter the way that he was... Last night I'm going. I'm going to do that. Oh, I missed uh, that. What what happened last night? Well, I yelled at him last night, but it was two nights ago. He you got on Newsom. Yeah, he on he, Twitter. No, I yelled at him on on, on air here uh, because he, he was calling people peanut head, <laughs> and it was like that's not. The, why are you going after fans calling them peanut head? Did he respond? Yeah, it was a whole back and forth. Yeah, it's with you, not with me. Oh. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I barely message uh, people that message me on Twitter. Nonetheless, like go after athletes on Twitter. My advice to Greg Newsome was I well, I got mad about the idea that in the post game he tried making it seem like he probably he tried putting lipstick on a pig. He tried making it seem like his game wasn't that bad when we all saw how bad his game was. And then a couple fans called him out and the one fans had maybe it's debatable whether it looked like a peanut head. I don't know. But he's like he's like, "Yo peanut head, going to make fun of me and call me out." He's like, "Stop insulting fans." Just don't respond poor, to him. Poor peanut head. I know. I felt really bad. Could that imagine that being the first time somebody ever called you peanut head in life is when it's an NFL athlete through Twitter? You're like, wait, do I have, do I actually I? have a peanut head? Maybe. Do you remember, do, is there any insecurity you have uh, about yourself in the slightest bit? It, about my looks? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my hairline's thinning. I have a receding hairline myself. Your hairline is—it's—it's it's looking pretty good. I—I I don't know that it's thinning. I—I yeah, I, I remember the day somebody was first like, "Hey," to you. Yeah, like, "Hey, you look—you're looking more like LeBron James these days." And I go, "What do you yeah. mean? I'm not all of a sudden six foot seven and I'm still white." And they're like,
3: "You know, I mean the receding hairline." And I'm like, "Oh, uh, oh, is that—that's not great." Yeah, I mean, I got a little gray in my beard. It gets me a little bit. Get off the just for men.
2: So what if you went after uh, you? You commented on Greg Newsom, and Greg Newsom responded
3: back and was like, "Yo, I, I'm done commenting to players." Well, that's for you. okay. That's D- fair. Didn't go over too that's well. The first time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even tag him on it.
2: Did I ever tell you my Twitter response on that? Did you ever see that?
3: I prefer to be there for my uh, my kids' graduation.
2: I put marked safe from uh, from Jermaine Whitehead on my Twitter profile. Hey, I saw that. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good. That's a good way of thinking for you, it's though. Been a, it's been a while since
3: uh, Frank the Tank.
2: But you probably shouldn't be responding to these Twitter people, should you, if you're Greg Newsom, What are you doing? I don't know. Man. Don't be an idiot. And also, he's maybe guy, maybe own the, up to the fact that you didn't have a good game. guys are Gen Zers, man. Is it just how they communicate? Is that what you're telling me?
3: I think so. Look at Kevin Durant. Durant does the same thing, and he's older. Durant's my age. He's a millennial.
2: He should know better.
3: What? How old are you? 34. What's Durant? 34?
2: I think, right the, I think he's right on. I think he's running the money. I think we're. I think we're the same age. Oh, did you see him last night? Did you see that comeback? No. I'm trying. No. 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 I didn't. You missed it. I missed it because last night was. I wasn't gambling last night because I've hit 13 straight bets in a row. So Saturday I made the largest financial bet of my life in the Browns and it didn't hit. And so what do you do when you make the largest bet of your life and it doesn't hit? And, and what was that number? I'm not telling you that number. Six. It was a four figure bet. I'm not. I'm not going down that road. I don't want to I can't wait. Was it over a grand? No, it wasn't over a grand, but I'm not, I'm not, there's no way I went out of announcing that, that total and that number. But the well, point is,
3: <laughs> you don't know what I bet on the Browns.
2: I imagine it was higher than my bet, but we play in different right, tax ten brackets, times what you bet. but you know how this works. You lose the largest financial bet of your life. And then you obviously have to try to find the rest of the weekend to go ahead and make it up. And so I hit 13 straight bets in a row since, and I was flying pretty high. So last night I took the first off day of gambling in a very long
3: time and I
2: might take tonight off too. So I have no idea what happened. I'm not in the NBA. taking it tonight.
3: I'm going to the Cavs game.
2: Have you picked out what uh, what part of the line
3: you're betting tonight, I, dude? When I go to games, I usually just bet the over like blindly, just because it's more fun to root for points. Really?
2: Yeah. I I am a I'm a great live better. When you go to the games, you oh can't, dude,
3: I'm I'm so good at live betting tennis. It's especially it's my favorite women's thing. tennis, not live tennis, but like live. Dude, betting. I bet live. I crush on live tennis.
2: Some things are just obvious. A couple days ago, it was it was a a uh, you know Rockets Pistons game. Rockets are up. Rockets, I'm getting plus two and a half. They're down seven to the Pistons with six minutes left in the third quarter. you telling me they're not winning that game? They're going to win that game. You just got to pay enough attention. So you haven't placed your bets. Isn't it like Giannis, I think he's over under tonight. It's like 33 and a half or something like that. That's, That's what not, it is. It's a big number for Giannis tonight. It's a big number. going to have a good game, I think. All right. Can the Cavs win this game? Yeah, I don't know. What's the line? I have no idea what the line is. Are they going to shoot 57 threes? Four. It's four? Cavs are plus four. Four. Dalvin
3: Mitchell's line is also 33-and-a-half.
2: Only plus four?
3: I mean, with no Garland and Mobley, I mean, someone's got to score. You saw the Cavs the other night put up 57 three-pointers.
2: Why? It's the most in team history. Why? Because that's all they got? Yeah, but no, they don't
3: have three-point shooters. I know, I
2: know but like, he mind, it's all, it's all they all, got. No, it's no. all they got. It's not saying
3: it's great, but it's all they got. I don't understand. It's these teams that just jack up threes, it's like, what are you doing? Drive to the basket and get fouled. He keeps doing the move. It's all I got. It's all I got.
2: Yeah, I I I don't know. It just—it's my kind move. Of thinking. It's my move. It's all I got. It's it's what they do. They fifty-seven three pointers. They just kept chucking them up there, and they think that it's gonna work. We'll talk about the game a little bit later on. Ross Tucker, we'll get back in the NFL. Our Odyssey NFL Insider, he'll join us next right here on the FAM.